Hello everyone, here is Daniel Budai with another episode of Fire Econ Show and today I'm here with Eric Bandholz who is the founder of uh, Beardbrand and uh, Beardbrand is a uh, grooming brand for males who want to change the way how society views beardsmen. That's their vision statement on their website. And uh, he will tell us about his uh, story or their uh, story. So, hey, Eric, how are you today? It's good to have you here. What's going on, man? Happy to be here. So let's start back. Uh, I think, uh, so Beardbrand is uh, 10 years old, actually. I just checked it on the website. But, or if yeah, you, yeah. Next year. Celebrating our uh, 10-year anniversary this year. It's been uh, a long a long journey, not the longest journey, that's for sure, but uh, been through a lot over the years and uh, we're excited for the next 10 years. Amazing. So I'm really curious, what was the original idea back then? And also 10 years ago, did you expect this to happen? Was it one of your secret dreams to happen or, or not at all? Yeah, I, I I guess like yes and no in regards to that answer. I uh, so our origin story is uh, I used to be a financial advisor at a mega bank, and uh, there was expectations that you looked and dressed a certain way, uh, and the way that those expectations were were not the way that I wanted to present myself to the world. So you know the kind of back then you know two thousand. 10 and 11, there wasn't really a, a tolerance for facial hair in the corporate environment. And I just thought it was silly. Like you, you grow your head hair. What's the difference between your head hair and your beard hair? It doesn't make sense to me. I'd rather, uh, you know, grow my beard out if I want. So I ended up quitting, um, working there and I grew my beard out. And in the process of growing my beard out, I would go to, to business events and uh, everyone always called me like Duck Dynasty or Grizzly Adams or ZZ Top, who are uh, all very cool people. But uh, these hands were made for keyboards. They were not made for uh, axes and, and guitars. So uh, I ended up uh, attending a, a, an event uh, where I started meeting other bearded guys who didn't fit the traditional stereotype of, of uh, a beardsman. And that's when I coined the term urban beardsman to kind of describe who we serve and then beard brand was going to be the company that really gave them the confidence to, uh, to grow their beard out. But more than that, like have the confidence to be themselves. So if that meant growing a beard out or not growing a beard out, uh, we're all cool with that. Uh, as you can tell, I kind of rock a mustache right now and, you know, different styles are cool. There's not like beards are better grow a beard. It's, you know, love the man. Look at looking back at you in the mirror. And then when we believe that you love that man, that you will use that confidence to become a better father, to become a better partner, to become a better uh, leader uh, at work or an employee at work. And then uh, ultimately, we're able to build a, a stronger, healthier community more from a grassroots efforts of simply loving ourselves than uh, the traditional means, which is like through politics and voting and societal change and all this it's like no we just become better individuals and collectively through us becoming better uh the world will become better interesting actually i didn't even realize that uh it was a kind of stigma back then in the corporate world i i know tattoos they are uh mm -hmm. and not just in a corporate world but i didn't even realize that facial hair is a thing uh yeah i mean i, I think 
nowadays, I think because Beard Brand's been successful over the past 10 years, we've been able to shift a lot of those perceptions of what facial hair means to, you know, American culture and society. And it is very much um, acceptable. So I'd say we won in mm-hmm. that regard, you know, like you can, yeah. you can grow a beard in a corporate environment now. So uh, we, we continue our mission, which is really like, you know, helping the, the individual uh, beard or no beard. Yeah, so you managed to make a big impact, which is which is great. Um, so I know your business has been a community-focused business since the beginning. And how did you start out back then? Yeah, so um, as we talked about, it's our 10-year anniversary. The first year we started as a blog and a YouTube channel, and it was essentially producing content. We didn't really grow um, very significantly in that first year. I think all told. You know, we, we could we could say between our our blog traffic and our YouTube uh, traffic and viewers and subscribers that it was worth like, a, I don't know, it was like 16,000 people, um, which if, if you know blog traffic, that's that's not a lot of traffic uh, and YouTube viewers and stuff like that. So that's kind of where we started at. And then uh, I was able to convince uh, Lindsay and Jeremy, my business partners to kind of convert the blog into an e-commerce. And you asked earlier, you know, what was the vision? Like I never, I never really foresaw myself in the grooming space. Um, but I did foresee myself building a business that I was passionate about that, that I could connect with. Uh, for me, I know uh, there's no right or wrong way to build a business and you can work on something that you have, like, uh, I know some guy, like the guy who, who invented tampons was a guy, like clearly he was not a user of the products. Um, so like you can build businesses that aren't really interesting to you, but for me personally, I enjoy building a business that I personally like. Um, so beard brand really checks all those boxes. It could scale. It could, I could make sales while I slept, you know, there's a scalability to it. Uh, I love the customers. I love the audience. I love the products. So it is very much uh, a quote unquote lifestyle business um, that I've I've wanted to to build for a while. Uh, but in the early days, I actually envisioned Beard Brand was going to be more of a like a lifestyle brand in the sense that we would sell like uh, bags and clothing and apparel mm-hmm. and accessories to kind of yeah. have this urban beardsman look. Um, but it wasn't until we started selling grooming products that we realized our audience really preferred grooming products more than bags, which at the time were a dime a dozen. So we kind of leaned into the grooming side of the business and, and made that our core competency, um, as we grew. Yeah. So it wasn't fully intentional from day one, but by time you could see that the audience really resonated with grooming and you, and you just doubled down on these kind of products. Yeah, our mission was always the same, you know, our, mm-hmm. our mission to, to help men love the man looking back at them in the mirror yeah. and invest in themselves. That's always been the, the case. The products, how we achieve that uh, has certainly, you know, had a little bit of variability. And, and mm-hmm. uh, it, it originally the, the original vision wasn't grooming, but it's pretty much been grooming from from day number one since we opened okay. up. The shop. Yeah. So I also know that you were in a Shark Tank back in 2014, 15? Yeah, 2014. So how, how did you end up in Shark Tank? I mean, what, what was the idea to get into Shark Tank 
and yeah, how- you know, uh, going back to you know when we started selling products in 2013 and, and 2014, the early days, there was not a, an industry for beard care. Obviously, today it's completely different. There's hundreds of competitors, thousands of competitors, um, but it was a very novel industry and a novel idea. And um, Shark Tank at the time was. Uh, very popular. And, uh, you know, everyone I told my idea to, they're like, you should be on Shark Tank. You should be on Shark Tank. So Mm -hmm. I was like, all right, yeah, we'll give it a shot. Um, But I wasn't going to build my business around being on Shark Tank. You know, there's a lot of risk associated with that. And you're not really in control of uh, being on the show, of course, and not in control of how you're going to be portrayed on the show either. So um, it was kind of like a you know, like one foot in, one foot out kind of strategy for us to get on there. But we were very fortunate in the sense that uh, the producers uh, saw our, our application and uh, they replied to us and we uh, went through all the steps and were able to get up on the show. So uh, very fortunate for that experience. Yeah. And did you get uh, backed by, by one of the investors? Yeah. So, I mean, um, none of the investors even uh, pitched uh, an offer to us. So, uh uh, we didn't even have anything to uh, to decline or say yes to, uh, which I was surprised because, I mean, obviously, I believe in my company and, and where we're going and what we've done. But um, at the time, it, it's it's so crazy to think in 2014, still people did not see uh, guys wanting to invest in their beard and take care of their beard. Like, it's just, I was a little dumbfounded. I was just like, okay, but you know, to each their own. And uh, any of them had a beard back then, by the way? I'm just curious. I mean, Damon kind of had like a really small goatee. And then since being on the show, like Robert started growing out a little bit of uh, facial hair. So, you know, not everyone can be uh, early adopters, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. I I follow a podcast uh, by Reid Hoffman. He's the founder or co-founder of LinkedIn. And he said that if... Uh, you are in front of billionaires who are investors and you think they are really smart and knowledgeable and everything, but none of them want to invest. And you do it many, many times with dozens of people like this, then don't be upset because they are not pros at everything. And maybe you are really pro in one area, in that one area. And if you really believe that you are an expert there, there is a potential, just don't give a damn about those billionaire guys. So. I think that's yeah, and uh, I mean, we built we we built our business not to need investment. Like we mm-hmm. we would certainly take an opportunity with a with someone as notable as as one of the sharks, but it wasn't something that was going to make or break our business. We run a very lean bootstrap business. We don't have any debt. We don't have any outside funding. Uh, you know, the only way we're growing is if we make money and we have profitability. So we are very purposeful with how we spend money and making sure that. Uh, our dollars are going towards the things that are going to have the biggest impact. And, you know, subsequently, you know, maybe it limits our growth ability a little bit. Maybe we're a little handcuffed, but um, it's a, a much less dramatic way of growing the business. And I sleep well at night and yeah, um, I have modest, modest needs. So I've got a roof over my head and food on the table and a smile on my face. And uh, I feel like I've, I've got the secret to, to winning life. I feel like I've won life. Yeah, 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 that's great. Um, so, and fast forward now, you have almost 2 million YouTube subscribers, as I could see. So, yeah, I, I think that's amazing. And um, 
I could see you uh, speaking on stage back in 2019 at the Clavio conference. And I remember you talked about YouTube, YouTube growth, how much time it took, uh, and also that you were quite active on Amazon in the early days, but then you realized that you don't want to double down on Amazon. So I'm just curious what happened there. Uh, yeah, I mean, Amazon is, um... It's a tricky beast. You know, I'm personally like, I'm not a big fan of Amazon. Like I think it's an ugly user face interface. I think like the relationship between Amazon and sellers is, is not a healthy relationship. I think there are, um, they create an environment that allows for a lot of manipulation and fraudulent behaviors, you know, fake reviews or fake products or product hijacking. And, um, but it also allows a great opportunity for entrepreneurs to get their product in front of uh, their audience and uh, make a living. So, you know, as much as I personally am not a fan of Amazon, I think it's great that Amazon exists and provides service for their customers and people who sell on there. We did sell on there and we were looking to kind of double down, but we could never find uh, the right talent to help us uh, scale and grow it. So, uh, we kind of like essentially like shut down our sales of Amazon. And what we realized when we did that was our sales on our website grew, uh, dramatically, like way more than we were selling on Amazon. And what we kind of learned was Amazon was cannibalizing our sales on our website. Uh, we were essentially paying Amazon to, <laughs> to generate less sales. Now, uh, that was 20, I think like 2015 or 2016 um that we pulled off amazon you know perhaps it's a different market now and i'm not against exploring the idea of getting back on amazon um but it is one of those things that it's just really nice to build a business that's not on amazon i don't have to worry about waking up to amazon suspending our account or shutting down our products or doing all the weird things that i hear from other entrepreneurs yeah i i think we all heard these uh, horror stories and we don't want to see that with our own businesses so uh, uh, yeah a few episodes ago Ezra Firestone was in my podcast and he told me that Amazon is very technical but Shopify is really the place where you can build a community and you really need a vision because you have to engage your uh, your fans your audience do you agree with this statement like Shopify is the place Amazon is more about conversions technical things product description I would uh, I would strongly agree with that. Like if if you're really good at the data, uh, analyzing, you know, kind of what's moving, what's trending. I've I've talked to some people at conferences who are really competent on Amazon, and they're brilliant minds, and they're able to essentially scrape all the data uh, of the the what people are searching for, and based on what they're searching for, they'll develop products like within a three month time frame, and they will be. Uh, producing products for something that is of high interest um, before anybody else does, like for products that don't currently exist is brilliant. The, the, the people are brilliant. And then I just think of our talents at Beard Brand and we we don't really have those talents. The talents we have are building authentic relationships, you know, like building products that we care about uh, personally, and then hopefully being able to to connect with other people and telling a story and um, you know, offering and, and serving them, uh, in ways that you can't get on Amazon. Like we have style consultants 
uh, who will give you, a, you know, tell you how to not just like style for your hair and beard, but also style for your, your clothes and how to elevate your, uh, your look. So we can do things at a completely different level on our website, beardbrain.com and we can mm-hmm. do on Amazon. But again, like if you're just a really product focus and you have like a single product, um, I don't think you can be Amazon. Like, I don't think, um, you should really even build a brand for that. Like to me, you build on Shopify. If you want to have multiple products, you want to have a brand, you want to tell a story, you want to be around for 20 years or 30 years. Um, that's where the value of Shopify stores or, or just your own platform. Uh, cause it's not just Shopify, Shopify, big commerce. Um, yeah. So I think you are a good person to ask what is, if you should highlight three things to build an amazing community and the community that converts at the end, you can monetize that community. What would you highlight? What would be those three things? Because, and the reason why I'm asking, because so many entrepreneurs, they try to do it and many of them, they are not as successful with it. So let's try to help them. here. Yeah. So first of all, I think you need to kind of set your expectations for what community is. Um, it can mean a lot of different things. I think traditionally uh, as a longtime internet user, I think of community as like a private forums or Slack channel or, you know, some kind of like digitally physical, you know, community, but it's more than that. I think it's the, the people who reply to your emails It's the people who reply to your comments on YouTube or social media or Facebook. It's, um, you know, the people you run to in, in person is the people who come by our, our barbershop uh, right across the street. That is our community. So um, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be this like um, traditional community in the sense. And I think like to, to build community essentially means to build a relationship with your, your, your audience. So that's what you're looking to do is like, how can I build a relationship with the people who are using the products. A lot of people, it's very transactional. Like I just um, bought some car parts for my car. I have no care what brand I bought it from, where it's come from. I just want the products. I want it to come in. I'm not building a lifestyle for that. But, you know, to a certain degree, if you have a product that becomes a part of of, of a person's life, uh, like grooming, uh, I think is because it's part of your daily routine. It's something you you get on a recurring basis, then it's very much something you can build a community around. So the first thing is understanding if your product and your company can be a community builder or should it or should it not, it really depends. And then from there, fostering those relationships and uh, and then doing things that are not profitable. Um, so we put on events uh, in person here in Austin that allow, uh, you know, our, our most passionate fans to be able to connect and, and meet in person and connect with other like-minded people. And, you know, creating content on YouTube is not necessarily profitable. Like it's a very expensive time consuming thing, but it's something that brings a lot of value to people's minds. So not being afraid to do things that, that may not ever return, or if they do return, it takes a long period of time. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, just, you, you've got to, um, I, I, I think like, community builders tend to build products that they're very passionate about. So you can't, in my opinion, necessarily find success as the the low cost, cheap product, because I think people who are passionate about the products they're buying tend to want quality. So 
uh, developing products that are higher quality and, and can kind of stand uh, above uh, the competitors in the space. Yeah, for example, I never heard about Walmart community or Tesco community, you know, you just mentioned the price because it's obviously not above the market and the competitors in quality. So I think that's a good yeah. point. You but should. then you think like Tesla, you know, at a huge scale, mm -hmm. like they've got a great community and uh, very yeah. loyal fans. And, and again, there's no, I mean, as far as I know, there's no like Tesla group, but there are like private blogs who talk about Tesla and, you know, so there's just like different iterations of how that community can exist. Yeah. Yeah. I know Ferrari has many clubs, for example, mm -hmm. uh, and sports car people, but not Tesla. Maybe they will have at some point. I don't know. Yeah. yeah, but, but there's, there's no right or wrong way to build the community. And that's kind of the fun and doing mm -hmm. it as well. You can work through, um, influencers, like maybe you don't want to build uh, your own YouTube channel cause you don't feel comfortable on camera, but you can work with people who are passionate about your products and kind of make them one of the, the faces of the brand and kind of build through them. So there's a lot of different ways of doing it. You just have to really think about how can our company build a long lasting relationship with our audience. That, that's the goal. Yeah. yeah. So how did the, the iOS changes affect your company? Is it something that really affected you or naturally? I don't know how Facebook heavy you are because you have YouTube, you have the community, different places. How did you? Yeah, we're, uh, tr traditionally, we, we lean on organic as a primary driver to our sales. So YouTube and our blog. Uh, and then driving people into our email flows is is an important part of way of of how we've been able to acquire customers. But uh, we did uh, we did lean on Facebook for a period of time where we were investing heavily into it, and then uh, unfortunately we lost our growth marketer a couple of years ago, and uh, he was the one who was really driving uh, the growth on on Facebook. So I would say losing him was more of an effect than iOS, but um, not having that. The, the eyes in the company um, definitely, I think, caused the ads to be less profitable than than would allow them to be. Uh, they weren't sustainably profitable, so we ended up actually cutting all of our ads uh, November of last year, and uh, so we haven't been doing any paid social for uh, nearly a year. And and again, like Amazon, you know, if I can find the right people, we'll get back on that that train. I I think there's. Uh, things that we can do to improve. And I think there's a lot of opportunities, but we're in the midst of uh, relaunching our product lines and new packaging and new sizing. So it doesn't really make a sense to invest a ton in marketing when we're gonna be changing everything over the next three months. So you completely cut off uh, paid social for almost a year. Yeah, yeah, it'll be a year. And uh, I think November 11th is, mm -hmm. is when we turned it all off. That's, that's amazing that you could do it. I mean, I mean, most. our sales are down, you know, of course, like, uh, it does mm -hmm. have an effect on the business. I'm not here to say like, oh, we cut off all of our, our ad spend and, you know, we're, we're growing leaps and bounds. That's not the case, but you know, the, we, uh, I think it was by June or July of this year, we had already hit the same profitability that we did the previous year. Okay. So, uh, you know, sometimes as an entrepreneur, you kind of have to uh, or at least for me is check my ego in terms of like that top line, which is the sexy number when that, yeah. that one is one everyone brags about, but the bottom line is the one that helps you sleep well at night and helps you like invest in the, the, the future of the company. So 
the bottom line is certainly um, healthier and, you know, less stressful, but, um, you know, my ego takes a hit, which sounds Yeah, like I know that. the feeling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's talk about email and SMS marketing because one thing that I can see with community-based e-commerce businesses is that email and SMS is crucial for them. In many cases, it drives 30, 40%, even half of their revenue. So how do you use email marketing in your business? Yeah, I mean, email uh, is really a big part. I, I spoke at Clavio. I, I like what Clavio does. They talk about owned marketing, and, and we very much align with that. And just uh, one of my core values is freedom. And, uh, you know, to, to have freedom, you you have to be able to kind of function independently. And, and you're always going to rely on partners and vendors to handle things. But um, I think like having your entire business built on Amazon is not a very free way of building the business. I do feel like building on a platform like Shopify, where if Shopify does something, we can switch to big commerce or WooCommerce or just custom build our own e-commerce. Like all of those are options using Magento or something like that. So I do very much feel that freedom that we have uh, with our strategy. And uh, for us, if you go to beardbrand.com, we've <laughs> uh, we relaunched our website in, in June. And uh, one of the things that we've been thinking about is like, how do we minimize decision fatigue? Uh, and, and so what we do is if you look at our navigation, historically, we would have like all of our products categorized and like beard and hair and style and da 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 and just all broken up. But now we've just shifted it to where it just says shop and we have all of our products listed and learn. And then the learn will take you to information about uh, our blog post, as well as the quizzes that we have. And the quizzes are ways that we uh, acquire email lists to be able to to grow our, our email flow. So we have several flows set up that are worked through those quizzes uh, that people can take. And, uh, and then from an SMS perspective, we try not to just do like traditional blast uh, marketing on SMSs, like treating it like a email. What we try to do is style consulting through SMS. So uh, we work with a provider that allows uh, our customers to send photographs and then we can send photographs. I think we can send photographs back, but essentially like give them advice uh, to, to again, like build that relationship. So we're using SMS almost as a, a live chat alternative than we are uh, a, uh, you know, kind of like a mass messaging tool. That's pretty cool. Not many brands uh, use SMS like this. Yeah. yeah, I, I mean, I, for me, it's it, uh, my tendency is to think about how can I provide value to our audience? And then just knowing that if we provide value, good things will come back and kind yeah. of being okay with however they come back, whether um, I'm not a big fan and like, you know, data optimization and just like looking at the numbers and crunching things and like, oh, this is the most optimal, optimal, because then you end up with a website that looks like Amazon. And it's just like, so many words and so many suggestions and it's just like overwhelming and hideous and ugly and uh that's not my vibe so <laughs> yeah yeah i get that so i must ask you this question because i have my own e-commerce marketing agency do you work with agencies or you prefer an in-house team i think if it's uh, crucial to our business we have to do it in-house um i think uh we've worked with out-of-house agencies before um, and still do for certain, uh, 
pay-per-click like a Google pay-per-click and stuff like that. But we found that none of them have ever been able to scale our business. So mm -hmm. to, to be able to scale your business, that strategy and creative needs to be driven internally. And you can work with agencies to kind of execute on, on that vision. But uh, I have not had luck with any agency strategically driving growth for the, the, the company. So I think expectations are um, what are important when working with a relationship. We also work with uh, an agency to manage our TikTok account mm -hmm. and uh, create the shorts and they do incredible work. So uh, I love being lean. I love not having to uh, build a full team. Uh, uh, and the headaches that come along with, uh, employee, you know, benefits and, um, absentees and, and stuff like that. So, um, I, I just think it's, there's certain things that are core to the, the company, like for us, customer service, we do customer service in-house, you know, uh, we do product design in-house. Those are core to our business, but, uh, fulfillment, we work with an agency or a third party fulfillment center, uh, manufacturing is not something that's a core competency to us. So it's just finding and understanding what, what you bring the most value to in society and focusing on that. And then uh, the things that you're not very good at, or you don't want to be very good at, then uh, working with other partners for that. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I just talked to Brian Kurtz uh, the other day. Do, do you know him? No, what's, what's his company? Titans. Uh, he has a mastermind. Uh, I'm sure you know Dan Kennedy. Uh, so they are friends with Dan Kennedy and uh, he's a direct response marketer. And uh, we just discussed this, that customer support is, is a marketing role or sales role at the end of the day, because uh, if your customer reps, they are just, um, you know, people who just send scripts, uh, then uh, it's not a very useful role in your company, but they should actually engage with your uh, website visitors and customers and even try to upsell to them. So uh, I think Zappos is a great example for that, how they how they do it. Or even Amazon, they have a pretty good uh, support. Yeah, I mean, Amazon pales in comparison to Beard Brand, for at least for our product industry. But uh, I agree, uh, customer experience. Uh, we call it customer experience here rather than customer support. And uh, we have, you know, uh, a couple of different roles, those that kind of act on social media and those that act um, through like tickets. So I, I, it's kind of like, there, to me, there's like operational customer experience, which is like, hey, my order didn't come in or it broke in yeah. mail or I don't like this fragrance. So that's handled differently than like, hey, I'm thinking about, you know, like growing a beard out. What do I do? Um, so yeah. those are kind of two different uh, yeah. types of people who would handle that. And um, it seems to work pretty well for us. Makes sense. Um, thanks, Eric, for uh, joining us today. And thanks, everyone, who listened to the live stream or the podcast in the following months and years. Uh, Eric, if anyone wants to find you and your brand, where they should go? Yeah, so uh, go to beardbrand.com. Uh, of course, we're up on YouTube. We've got tons of videos there. And uh, uh, buy something so you can see what the experience is like and, and how much better it is. Uh, at beardbrand.com than uh, Amazon. Are you available in Europe, by the way? And also No, no, all my European friends. Uh, maybe 2023. You'll just have to wait a little bit of time. I will have a mustache. <laughs> by next year. Come to Texas and buy some products to take home with you. Yeah, probably. I will do. Yeah.
Yeah, thanks, Eric, again. Thanks, everyone. And uh, every week we come out with a new episode. If you like this one, make sure you like it on social media and leave us a honest review as well. Uh, thanks again. Stay tuned.